that's what they would say. So. I'm going to start just a little bit of a recap on yesterday. I know the weather kept a lot of people away. There were a lot of people there still at that event, that leadership thing. And, um, and I'll, I'm going to share a lot of this online, but I'll, I'll kind of show you what, how they did this format. And, and basically everybody gathered in, in the sanctuary, and it was at the um, First Christian Church in Eldon. And um, just kind of had a little opening worship and just talked a little bit. And one of the things I shared was, was the story of the hymn of It Is Well With My Soul. We sang one verse, and then I shared the story, and then we sang it again, all four verses, and you could feel the difference when you knew the story, and maybe there was something in the story you could relate to, and, and we were reminded of the, of the scripture of Jesus saying, troubles will come, but he's overcome the world. And then everybody broke out into different groups. There were different kind of teams of, of, of colors, and all the churches were mixed up, and and so you weren't with a lot of people you knew. And there was a session on expressing grief. And, and one of my counterparts, Caitlin uh, Keller, Caitlin Keller, who, who's really involved in a, a ministry of, of grief and, and mourning, and specifically for those in the military, a thing they call moral injury, for those who, who serve and are called to do things that are contrary to their morals. Because honestly, wars wars ugly. And, and a lot of people come back with some internal damage and, and just being some, some things beat up because morally they believe in this, but you know, they're calling to serve, had them do other things. And it was really interesting. This was a short session. And then there was kind of a review of, of us as ministers that, that we are individuals called to be disciples. That's what Jesus's great commission was. And we are disciples and every person is a disciple. And in a lot of ways, every person is a minister and what that means and how we interact with each other. And then there was an interesting study, um, a comment about how do we hear the voice of God? And we talked about all the ways that we think we hear the voice of God, but there are some of these subtle ways we hear the voice of God through the way other person talks, or we look out on a day like today and you see, yes, we know it's bitter cold and yes, the roads are treacherous, but isn't it beautiful? The, you know, the, the, the pristine snow out the window, the fields of white, and then that may be a way you hear the voice of God. And then we talked about it, beneficial, engaging Bible study. And one of the things we did, and we might, we might try this here. Uh, you got to know Ron Trimmer out of Lake Ozark, and, and he's a character anyway. But you walk into this classroom, and he had this big mop wig and a beard, and he introduced himself as Zachariah. And basically, he did what he called Reader Cedar, where we talked about Bible verses, and, and each person kind of played that person, almost improvised on what that person was thinking. And it's along the lines of, of what we, we talked about here with who am I in his story, identifying the other characters. And my understanding, this was broadcast live on, on Facebook Live yesterday, but my understanding is going to be put up on YouTube, all this. So there will be an opportunity to, to see this, and I'll make sure and get that out to everybody. But... Um, there was some good stuff in there. And I think the biggest reminders were that we all have a role. We all have a ministry and we are all not only called to be disciples, but to multiply the disciples in the world. We talked about that a little bit around the table at Bible study this morning. But, but this morning I'm talking about being all in. And, and I think that's a kind of a good image on the screen of someone putting in all the poker chips. And that's certainly what I think about when I hear someone being all in. Like they're all in. But you know the story. Jesus asked, was asked this question. He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember his response. It, it wasn't a new instruction. Because remember, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That is, the teachings and promises and the prophecies of the First Testament. He didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And that was his answer in, in Matthew 5, 17. But his answer was found way back in Deuteronomy 5. So again, he's quoting the law and the script in the prophets, okay? But God had just shared his commandments with Moses. And it reads this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, okay? And Jesus says, that is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he adds, you know, the second greatest and, and some other words of instructions. But if you think about that, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. It's an absolute term, all. It means, if you look at the Greek word, it means whole, throughout, complete. And these are words of complete commitment. Love the Lord your God with a committed heart, a committed soul, and a committed life. And this is what we're talking about this morning and what it means to be committed or all in with God and with Jesus. And we know that there are things in this life that do, or at least should, get our commitment. I'm going to I'm going to do some smaller audience participation just so people know where people are here, if <laughs> nothing else. What are some things that we are supposed to be committed to? And it's not a trick question, but what are some things that we are supposed to be committed to in this life? Family. 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 I, none of the couples are raising their hands to say marriage. <laughs> but we all mean it. We all think it, right? Marriage, right? We make commitments to, to responsibilities, right? And what are some of the ways that we make or show commitment to these things? What's that? Our life, how you live your life. That's great. Yeah, what a trick question. And there are things that we should be committed to. In many cases, these reflect our personal trustworthiness and, and they reveal things about character like integrity, right? I'm committed to this. And I'm going to keep that commitment to my family, right? To my, to my spouse, to, to the, the, the commitments I've made to my job or the community or, or this organization or whatever it may be. And the world offers this definition of commitment. It says a commitment is something that you are pledged or obligated to. That's true. And some psychologists offer some practical steps. We're going to look at that in a minute. But I want to look at that definition in the light of the Bible. So let's unpack that a bit, right? A commitment is something that you are pledged or obligated to. But a few weeks ago, we were talking about what intentional generosity looks like. We, we open the Bible to our favorite passage to read when it comes time to talk about gifts and offerings and tithes, and, and it's the Apostle Paul's words from 2 Corinthians 9 7, right? Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not out of not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we went back a couple weeks ago and we really talked about what that truly means. But you see, God doesn't want you to just do something because you have to. He wants you to do things because it is good and it is fair and it is right and it's a part of his will. And he wants you to find joy in it. It's part of the blessing and the reward for doing these things. Giving, not reluctantly, but out of joy. To give generously, not under compulsion. So I suggest that the commitment is something is doing it just because you know in your heart that it's something that should be done. It's something that's needed. or um, and, and you are all in on this task, whatever it is, the thought, the responsibility, you're all in, you're committed to it. Committing to good things results in joy and to God's delight. And I'd like to offer this illustration. Would you flip the slide there for me, Larry? I had such a good response. Yeah, I had such a good response last week's Peanuts cartoon 
that we got the cow and the chicken, and I will read it because people online didn't follow the, the thing. But cow and chicken is a different cartoon. What's that? Cow and chicken is a different cartoon. Yeah, cow and chicken. This is the pig and chicken. Yeah. See, you had to be here. <laughs> but anyway, it's it's this chicken, and he's approaching this pig, and and he's got a business idea. And the chicken says, "Hey, pig, we should open a restaurant." And the pig says, I, "I'm not sure. What what would we call it?" And the chicken says, "Ham and eggs." Pig's a little puzzled, and they respond. He says, "No thanks. To be committed, uh, he said, I'd be committed, and you would only be involved. Think about that, right? It's a little oversimplified yet effective example of what it means to be all in. Think about it. Who is making the real commitment here? Right? It's it's the pig, right? Not the chicken." Romans 12.1 talks about a living sacrifice. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be all in, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, this can mean literally your bodies, right? We talk about our bodies being temple, but also what you do with your body, your actions, your thought, your mind, your entire body, to be completely all in. Offer it all for the praise and service of the Lord. But if it is something we can't commit to physically, at least um, talks about sharing your best. It says, honor the Lord your God with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. This is Proverbs 3, 9. This is another one that we, we like to use when we talk about offering, but it's really a metaphor for life. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, that doesn't just mean finances, but out of your abundance, your health, your energy, your skills, your talents, your mind, you have organizational skills. God gifts with all kinds of different qualities, okay? And if you're blessed enough to find a job where you can make a living at it, great, but that doesn't mean that you aren't supposed to be using it for his purpose too. But it says, but with the first fruits of your crops, think about what that looks like in your life today. Is God getting the best part of your life, the best part of your attention, the best part of the gifts? Are you offering him the best of what you have to offer? Is he getting it best? What's left over? which is anything but your best. It's not just about making a commitment, but also about what you are committing. We can commit to the wrong things, and we can commit wrong things. We can commit things we don't have, and we can, we can certainly overcommit. And what's in the danger in that? Well, sometimes we get focused on something that's distracting or, or something that someone else may be better equipped at or something that only that person can do. And, and we want to do that. God wired us all individually for a specific purpose. And we don't always know what that is. So we ask the maker, right? We ask the maker, what, it, what is it you want me to do with this stuff that you've given me? And this isn't a new problem for humanity. That's why the very first commandment is what? You shall have no other God before or beside me, right? Matthew 6, 24, it's God's, or Jesus who reminds us, says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. That's pretty harsh and extreme. But Jesus goes on and says, you cannot serve both God and money. But think about that and take out the word money, Okay. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. They both can't get your best. You can't be all in on both. It says you cannot serve both God and money, God and an addiction, God and jealousy, God and whatever it may be. 
Whatever, whatever it is, it may be taking up space that belongs to God. You can't be all in on more than one thing. But we commit to God because of what he's done for us. 1 Samuel 12, 24. This is Samuel's advice to Israel. Kind of as he's winding down, he says, but be sure to fear the Lord. This is the reverent kind of fear. And serve him faithfully with all your heart. So there's that commitment again. Consider what great things he has done for you. Now, I know I said we shouldn't do this out of fear or obligation or compulsion. So let me explain what I believe Samuel is telling us. He says, our commitment is, to, is a show of gratitude, a show of praise. It's the result of what we receive, not because of what we receive, not because we're striving or want to bribe God to give us more. It's this overflowing of, of appreciation that we just want to say, okay, I'm committed to you. I love you. You've taken care of me. And that's not why I do it. But I, I'm, I'm just going to show you my appreciation. We freely, because we have this double-edged sword of, of free will, we freely choose to make this commitment. It is a response to what God has done, not an obligation created by what he's done. We certainly owe it to him, but, but it's not about repaying the debt. Jesus paid the debt. It's about us being appreciative for what that is. And there are proper things to commit to, you know, and, and the proper ways to commit. Obedient living, if we were to put it in, a, in a, a just one blanket term, obedient living, to, to, to follow the commandments, all of them, not just the ones that are numbered, but the, all the ones that we learn about in God's word, all the ones that are taught by Jesus Christ, that is obedient living. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's how we know who God is, who Jesus is, because we know what they are and we believe in him, we follow him. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, for the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God or, or God's love is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. The only way to know how Jesus did is to study it. And there's comfort in realizing that we belong to God. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul's commitment, but it took a harsh lesson from God. You know, he had to literally have his vision taken away and he had to humble himself. He was, he was on his road to, to basically persecute Christians and he had experience on the way and, and he got shaken up and then he realized that I am one and I need to make disciples of others too. For Paul, it took a harsh lesson what will it take for us or what did it take for us? You know, we, we always don't want to be at that point where, where we have to go through that overwhelming breakdown to have the breakthrough, but sometimes that's what it takes. And that's why scripture says to be thankful for those or at least to take joy in those because that is where we turn the corner of our faith. And that's when we commit to trust in God and that's a tough one because there's so much in the world that, that seems like we should be controlling or we ought to at least know what's going on and we, we don't. There's only one that's truly in control. 
And being all in means not hedging your bet. I've got a, a, a friend who, who actually bet against the Chiefs last week. I won't mention his name, but I'll text it to you so you can send him hate mail. No, I won't. Um, but he said he bet $100 against the Chiefs. And, and his rationale is this. He said if Kansas City lost, he made $140. But if he won, $100 was worth it. I don't know that I like that mentality. I guess I'm just jealous he has $100 to burn. I don't know. But that's not really being all in, is it? I mean, are you truly a fan if you're betting against your own team? I, I, I don't know that. And, and the other one that came to my mind, and, and this was, we've been watching the Olympics, so, so this one made me think of this. Uh, there was this group of swimmers, the eight and unders, right? And we called them the wall crawlers, and we all started out as wall crawlers. You literally went along the gutter of the pool. This is how you went down. If you were doing a 25-yard freestyle, it was 25 yards of hand over hand. And at some point, one of two things would happen. The person would let go, and they'd swim like crazy because they were just ready like birds you know, leaving the nest, or the person crawling ahead of them was way too slow. And so they would do that, and they'd splash and get on the other side of them and move along. And in my mind, it probably has some sort of Benny Hill music playing in the background as these kids are doing this thing. But those kids, when they let go of the wall, they are all in. They're like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not grabbing the wall. I'm, I'm splashing. I'm going to get there. And, and, and sometimes that's what all in means. I'm going to let go of the crutch. But the nice thing about Jesus, and, and people will look at it and say Christianity is a crutch. Absolutely. What's a crutch for? to support you when you need something to help hold you up. When you need something to help that walk it easier. Absolutely, Jesus is a cross. That's not a derogatory term. Anybody here, anybody listening online strong enough to do everything by themselves? We need Jesus in our life. Another way to being all in means that we're continuing to learn and to grow and we call that maturing. Hebrews 6.1, it says, Therefore, let us not... Or let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken toward maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death or spiritual stagnation. Think about that. A lot of the stories we talk about now, we, we probably talked about in Sunday school, right? Remember Zacchaeus? Remember some of these, these things? And, and one of the things that I kind of got out of yesterday's um, leadership thing is we're looking at different ways of talking about the same stories. Now, I think we can all say that we read a scripture for the umpteenth time and we get something new and different because we've experienced something different in life or maybe we're just a little more mature or maybe God has a different message. But to say, okay, I understand that Jesus died for my sins and I need to repent and that's it. There's so much more to that. As you go through life and you learn more about what that means and what a great gift that is and about yourself and how much more you need that. Paul's advice is don't stop learning. Don't stop diving deeper and deeper into your own faith, even if it's the same story, the same scripture over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times you can read the Bible because I'd say when, you, when you're done, start again. Start again. But the world, they like to give advice and, and I'm, I'm a checklist user. I like that kind of thought. And so psychologists have some advice about when you commit to something. There's some advice on what they give on this. And, and this is, they say, whether this is a, a workplace or, or anything else. So I want to share a little bit about this. And then I'll kind of give a little commentary on, on why there's some good Christian principles in this. They say the first thing is be punctual. Okay? And I'd say show up. Right? We talk about being doers of the word and be doers of our word. Right? Just, you know, you made a commitment. We're going to stick to it that way. 
And then it talks about volunteer to help or participate. You want to show a commitment to something, you go and you participate. And I think we participate in worship. The elements we do here on a, on a Sunday morning, the response of reading isn't to give the lay leader uh, 10 seconds in between their lines, but to participate. We read the Lord's Prayer out loud as a congregation. It's a part of, of learning as you hear your voice say it and you, and you repeat it each week. Be a team player. That's what it says. If you want to be committed to something, be a part of the team. I'd say in Christianity, it's being a part of the ministry. You are, whether you want it to be or not, or whether you think this way or not, you are partners in the ministry. You're partners in the ministry with Jesus. You're partners in ministry with the church. You're partners in the ministry with the people around you in this room because we're all trying to get to heaven and take as many people as we can with us when we go. Psychologists say if you want to be committed, you need to show some, some confidence, right? Especially in the workplace. They want, you know, they want you to show confidence that you know what you're doing or at least you look like you know what you're doing or think you know what you're doing. We call that faith. We call that faith. Have confidence in what you believe. Have confidence in what comes next. Have confidence that the things you don't know or understand are still under control by someone greater than us. They say, suggest that we request feedback. You want to be committed? I want to be a good employee. I want to be a good volunteer. Tell me what I can do better, right? We call that conviction. Holy Spirit, tell me where there are areas of my life that I need to improve, that I need to be more obedient, maybe live more like a life of Christ. And then it says, listen to suggestions, okay? We call that accountability. When a, a loving person approaches you in love, and with a good intent and says, hey, are you struggling with this? Hey, I, I, I see this, I see that. That's holding you accountable or asking you the question. We issue challenges almost every week from the pulpit. And it's fair to ask the accountability question. How'd you do with it this week? Did you take advantage of an opportunity to be, to be generous? Did you take advantage of sharing the gospel with someone? Did you sit down and pray even one more minute than you prayed last week? That's progress. To ask that question is accountability. That is listening to the suggestions. And the last thing is, is, is start. And this goes right back to what Jesus said. He says, go, start. Don't just be hearers. We did, a couple years ago, we did a, a, a sermon topic we called Ground Zero. And, and we talk about, you know, there, sometimes you'll leave a, a parking lot of a church and it'll say, you're entering the mission field as you're leaving church. And what a great reminder is everything out there is a mission field. But I'd say it starts right where you're at. Maybe with you, maybe with the person next to you, maybe with the person several rows back. Your mission might be encouraging those people as well. And lastly, being all mean in means being intentional. Revelation 3.15 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. This is the, the lukewarm verse. But maybe you're feeling a little conviction with this one. Maybe we're just... We're not cold against God, but we are not on fire with him. But we are here. God, we love you in spirit. And he's like, I, I need more than that. I deserve more than that. And he does. So intentionality, being all in, means being warm, on fire for God. And whatever that looks like, what you're doing. The thing is, when you commit yourself to 100% of anything, it, it does two things. It, it puts things in perspective and it prioritizes your life. Every decision you make is made in the light of the commitment you've made and with the end goal in mind. This is a life that follows Jesus 
and results in redemption of the promise of salvation. But while the world says that commitment means that, that once you make a decision, you, you should never think about it again. Like if you're truly committed, you should never have to ask or wonder or think about it again. We know that our Christian commitment means that we think about our commitment to Christ every moment of every day. We recommit every moment because we struggle with the commitment that we've made to be just like Jesus, to be the best version of ourselves that God created us to be. We know we struggle with that. And he says, okay, commit again. Make that decision again every day. If that takes a baptism, if it takes a, a humble prayer, if it takes you turning to a trusted friend and, and making a confession, if it's just you being honest with yourself, you make that commitment as often as you need to. So again, I do want to issue a challenge to us to consider everything from this perspective of commitment in the view of the commitment we're making, the perspective and how that prioritizes our life. So ask yourself something like this. Will saying or doing or thinking blank get me closer to where God wants me to be? Whatever it may be. Am I committed? Am I all in? Am I, or am I just involved? Am I just around? Like a chicken, pun intended. Or standing idle, perhaps being chicken. Be careful not to stay idle too long. Because you hear that sound? That's, it's the sound of life and all the noise of life. And some of it's good. Some of it's an opportunity, a challenge, a blessing. Some of it's trouble. But you don't want it to pass you by and you certainly don't want to be run over by it. So let's make that our prayer this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, you have called us to give you our best. And Lord, you know what that is because you made us and you made us to be good. And you made us to do good things. Lord, we have committed in our heart to be disciples. We've committed in our heart to lead others to be disciples as well. And we realize that this is not a one and done commitment. This is something that, that as you say, we have to pick up our cross daily. That we have to face the challenges. That we have to face the struggles. But you said it's okay, you've overcome the world that we will see some victories and we will, we will be a part of some miraculous things and we may not see the end result of that. But Lord, that does not mean that we are less committed. So Lord, instill within us this, this hot passion to be all in for you. Lord, as always, I thank you for this opportunity to get together here this morning. For those who are able to make it in person, for those who, who are listening online, we ask that this week be just extra powerful and meaningful as we accept this challenge of viewing our life in the perspective of what we committed to and how we can fulfill that commitment. Lord, if there's something in our lives that we're, we're putting ahead of you, would you please identify it for us? We're asking for that feedback. We're asking for that suggestion. Lord, if there's, if there's something we're doing right, Lord, affirm that within us. Lord, if we just need a nudge, a gentle reminder, we ask for that as well. And I know these are, these are risky prayers because that means there's gonna be some discomfort in our lives. But Lord, we say we are all in and so we are yours to be molded. We thank you for that. We thank you above all else for who you are and the generous, gracious gift of your son. It's in his name we pray, amen. Everything we do on a Sunday morning should lead to a response. 
And, and this is in several ways. This may be a response to come up front and pray. This may be a response to, to be baptized. It, it may be a response to, to give as a part of offering or to make a commitment in your heart to give in another way. And as is our tradition on the first end of the month, we celebrate communion. And this is a response. This is a reenactment and also a symbolism of, of the sacrifice that Jesus made in our lives. And one of the things that he did as he gathered around the table, and this was on the night that he was betrayed, was he took the bread and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after giving thanks, and I love that he gave thanks because what a powerful reminder it is for us that if Jesus needed to thank God, how much more do we? And he poured the wine and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And he says, as often as you take this bread and drink this wine, you do so in remembrance of me. And we take this time, we call it communion because we commune. We, we quietly and reflectively sit and we, we ask God to speak to us. And just as importantly, we listen to what God has to say to us. So we're just going to do this in silence this morning. And I'm going to just offer a word of prayer. We pray to you, God, but we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. God, it is a, a, an act of your love that you sent your son as this atoning sacrifice. Lord, we are not blameless in this. Every nail that was driven through the hands and the feet was, comes from things that we are still doing in our lives today. So as we approach this table, as we come to you humbly asking for forgiveness for our part in that, Lord, help us to be molded, to be more like your son, to be a shining example for the world of what your love is and means. And Lord, when we struggle, struggle and we will struggle, help us to pick up that cross again to forgive ourselves as you have forgiven us and turn and offer that same in grace and mercy to those that, that we believe have wronged us and wronged you as well. Lord, help us to guide ourselves and others into a faithful relationship with you. It's in your son's name we pray and give all thanks, praise, and glory. Amen.